So we're in a series called Dysfunctional Family. I'm a little nervous today. Um, this is my last sermon. Oh. So I'm, thank you. I don't know who cried. I it was kind of fake, but still, thank you <laughs> for that. Um, so I'm a little bit, I feel weird today. So uh, I'll get over it. I'll get over it in just a minute. Let me get my first joke through, and then I'll, and then I'll be good to go. So we're doing Dysfunctional Family, and uh, the hashtag is, as you see, Dysfunctional Family. If you're going to put something on social media, if you want the sermon notes, I think you are going to want these notes. Um, we're going to use today uh, Dr. Greg Smalley uh, is the Vice President of Marriage and Family Formation for Focus on the Family, and he has a book titled, Fight Your Way to a Better Marriage. And some of y'all are going, hey, I got that going. I'm good at that. No, really, it's a great, great book. I'm going to use some of the stuff in that book today as a framework, bringing in, bringing in some of my thoughts as well um, on how to resolve conflict in a marriage. We talked about it really, or I did, uh, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about some of that. We'll rehearse some of that. Uh, but uh, if you don't have that book, um, get it. Fight Your Way to a Better Marriage, Dr. Greg Smalley. And uh, we're going to talk today about a five-step communication process for resolving conflict. So you're going to want these sermon notes, so make sure you write for those. Let me tell you a story about uh, Fred and Edna, circa 1950. So Fred and Edna would go to the state fair every year. You know, that was back before it was a sin to go to the state fair. And uh, <laughs> Fred and Edna would go to the state fair, and every year Fred would say to Edna, Edna, see that red airplane over there giving rides? Yeah. I want to ride in that airplane. I've always wanted to fly, and I've always wanted to ride in an airplane. And every year, Edna would say, Fred, I know, but that airplane ride costs $10. And $10 is $10, you know. So one year, Fred and Edna went to the fair, and Fred said, Edna, you know what, I'm 71 years old. If I don't ride that plane right now, I'm never going to be able to ride it. I'm never going to have another chance. And she said, Fred, I know, but $10 is $10, you know? And so the pilot overheard them and the pilot said, hey guys, I, I was listening to y'all and it was one of those dual wing airplanes, you know, everything's open, open cockpit, all that stuff. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll take you guys for a ride and if you don't say a word during the whole ride, he said, I won't charge you one cent. So they both got in the plane, and they're really excited, and Edna's kind of scared. And, and, and this pilot takes off, and buddy, he starts twisting and turning and turning it upside down and doing loops, but not a sound, not a word. Finally, he landed the plane. He said, man, you guys are amazing. He said, I cannot believe most people are screaming and yelling and crying. He said, I didn't hear one word from you. And Fred said, well, I started to say something when Edna fell out. <laughs> he said, but $10 is $10, you know. <laughs> 
Hey, a good one on the last Sunday. How about that? How about that? I got some corny ones, though. Here comes one. A wife said to her husband, for my anniversary, I want something shiny that will go from zero to 180 in three seconds. Thought about it for a minute, bought her some bathroom scales. <clears throat> and that's when the trouble started. <laughs> a man took his wife to their 25th high school reunion. At the table next to them was a woman who was laughing very loud, having a great time, obnoxiously uh, yelling out and talking loud. And you could tell she was very intoxicated. And the husband kept staring at her, so his wife said to him, you keep staring at that woman over there, do you know her? And he said, well, that's my old high school sweetheart, and I heard that she's been drinking heavily ever since I broke up with her. And the wife said, my goodness, people don't usually celebrate that long. So, <laughs> boom! And that's when the trouble started. <laughs> Look what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. Live how? Joyfully with your wife, with your spouse, whom you love, all the days of your temporary fleeting life. Again, Dr. Greg Smalley, in his book, Fight Your Way to a Better Marriage. We're going to use that today. Let's look at his five-step process or five-step communication process for conflict resolution. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to just reiterate it because it's so important. It's number one on his list, and it is listen. Everybody say, everybody pray this out loud with me. Dear Lord, help me learn to listen. Oh, we're such good talkers, you know. Help me learn to listen. Again, we, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. James wrote in chapter 1, verse 19, that when we're communicating with anybody, when we're communicating with anybody, especially within the context of a marriage and especially within the context of trying to resolve a conflict, we have to focus on listening. He says in Chapter 1, verse 19 of James, be quick to hear. Sir Benedict wrote, listen and attend with the ear of your heart. True listening requires being fully present when that person is speaking. Let me just give you a couple of pointers and we'll move right on since we've already talked about this. Your spouse will know you are listening when you do the following things. Your spouse will believe that you are tuned in. They, your spouse will believe that you're listening when you turn toward them and you look them in the eye. They will believe. They will understand. They will be confident that you're listening. When you put away what you're doing, somebody say amen, resist distractions or any other activity that might take you out of the moment. And I don't have to list what those things are. You know what they are. Most of them are electronic devices. Here's another thing. Concentrate on what your spouse is saying when they're trying to express themselves to you, but pay special attention to the heart. Pay special attention to the emotion 
to the feelings. Watch for nonverbal cues. Hey, if you're talking to somebody and they've got their arms crossed like that, that could be saying something. Not necessarily, but it could be. So watch for body language and nonverbal cues. And you might want to pause and go, um, I just want to reiterate uh, to you that I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, use encouraging responses, reassuring gestures, body language, nod your head and and go, I understand that. Little phrases that you can say that, that they know you're listening. And then here's a big one, and I'm guilty of this, and I know a lot of us here are. Resist thinking about what you're going to say. Resist thinking about your reply. Resist thinking about your rebuttal. And let them finish before you respond. I know, baby, I know. Let them finish before you respond, don't interrupt them. Don't interrupt them and let them finish. Everybody with me on that? Amen. So number one, when you want to resolve a conflict, hey, listen, guys, in your marriage, but with anybody, when you want to resolve, resolve any kind of conflict, hear the other person out. You may be listening and, you know, you don't agree and you think they're being unfair, but they're not going to receive anything from you until they know. And sometimes even then they won't receive. But it raises the chances of them hearing what you have to say if they know you've give, given them a full listen. And, of course, we're talking about this in the context of marriage. So not only listen, number two, understand. Understand. You, you want to make sure that they're understanding what you're talking about. It reminds me of another little story I heard about this guy who had bought a new car and he left the lights on. He didn't know how to turn them off or he thought they were going to turn off on their own and they didn't. And, and when he got up the next morning, he's ready to go to work. He's got just enough time to get there and the lights uh, have killed the battery. And so he pushes the car out into the street. He goes in the house. He wakes his wife up. He says, listen, I hate to do this but you have got to come uh, get my car up to 30 miles an hour. It's a straight drive. I'm going to pop the clutch, and when I do that, it'll crank. That'll be a lot faster than getting out the jumper cables and all that stuff. And she's getting up. She's trying to hear all this. She's trying to understand him, and she's frustrated because she doesn't want to be up, and Millie said amen. And, and so he's out in the street, and she gets in her car, which is, which is like a big SUV, and, and she disappears. She drives away, and he is confused. And so all of a sudden, he looks in his rearview mirror, and here she comes, 30 miles an hour, because that's what he said. And she rammed into the back of his new car. So look what it says in Proverbs 4 and 7. Though it cost all you have, get. Man, that verse really applies to that story, doesn't it? It may cost you all you have, so you better get understanding. 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, here it is in the context of marriage, and it's talking really to husbands here because they're the leaders. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an, what, what, come on, understanding way. There is a key to understanding your spouse. 
Now, I know you're writing this down. There are some guys right now getting their pen out who've never taken a single note on anything I've ever preached. But here's the key to understanding your spouse right here. Instead of getting angry, instead of judging them, instead of ignoring your spouse's emotions, become curious. (laughs) Go, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) When they respond, become curious about his or her feelings. Instead of saying, I wouldn't have responded that way, that's not the right way to respond. Become curious about why they did respond that way. Curiosity leads to discovery. You learn new things about your spouse when you choose to be curious rather than judging or angry. Very, very important principle. King Solomon understood this, and this verse isn't coming up on the screen, so you might want to jot it down if you're taking notes. In Proverbs 20 and 5, King Solomon said, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So how can these deep waters be drawn out? And the answer to that is by consistently looking at your spouse during times of not understanding. Maybe there's some confusion and saying, so help me understand. Help me understand this. Help me understand when you say that to your spouse, it's a powerful statement because it shifts you from reacting, this is important, to caring. I don't think I'm understanding what you're saying. And take the blame for it, guys. Mark that down. Take the blame for not understanding. And just say, listen, help me understand. I I, I don't think I'm getting what you're saying. Help me get that. When you pause in a debate, in an argument, in a discussion, when you pause and take the time to understand where your husband's coming from, to understand where your spouse is coming from, it will help your spouse's heart, listen to this, this is important, to feel safe. And when when your spouse's heart feels safe, that you're not going to jump on them or judge them, but you're genuinely, sincerely going to try to understand them, then here's what they do. They'll open up, and they'll tell you some things. And they'll say, this is why I reacted that way, or this is why I have that opinion, or this is why I said what I said. So listen, number one. Number two, understand. Look at number three. Validate. This one's really, really important. Validating your spouse means that you recognize, value, and accept his or her deepest thoughts. You validate them when you value your spouse's opinion, when you value their ideas, when you value their beliefs and their emotions. Though they may be far different from yours, and though you may not agree, you can still value, let them know, thank you for that information. That helps me understand where you're coming from, regardless of whether, again, you agree with them, or even if you really understand you are allowing them to have their opinion and you value it. When you do not value your spouse's feelings and opinions, then they feel rejected and they're going to clam up. They feel judged. They feel demeaned. I mean, just think about it. You guys, you gals, when you're at work, when you're in your social life, in any setting, when somebody doesn't at least just value your opinion, then it makes you feel belittled. And the result of that is we become defensive. 
we put up walls and debate and talk and communication um, goes negative. Debate breaks out. So here are some intentional or unintentional words to validate or, I'm sorry, invalidate your spouse. So these are things you don't want to say when you're having a debate, when you're in conflict, when nobody's getting along. Don't say these things. Are y'all with me? Everybody say, don't say these things. All right? Good. You're so sensitive. Because the next noise you're going to hear is, <laughs> you're so sensitive. Don't ever say, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't feel that way. Don't say, it's no big deal. Why are you getting so emotional? Man. <laughs> here's, what, here's what Millie let. Lighten up. You're overreacting. Where's Millie? She's driving off. She's leaving me. Oh, here's one. Can't you take a joke? How many of you know we joke so we can get a point across and then deny that we were trying to get a point across? Come on. I've done it. You've done it. Y'all look so holy out there. Here's one. Relax. Simmer down now. You're freaking out. Calm down. You're not being rational. It's nothing to get upset over. You shouldn't let it bother you. Boy, when she comes home from work or he comes home from work and he's been devastated by something somebody said or something that happened at work, man, do not come back with you. You shouldn't let that bother you. Mm. You should be over that by now. You still, are you still on that? You still ragging on that? You should be over that by now. And I got to tell you, man, when I wrote these down, I cringe because I've used all these. I'm definitely guilty of saying these things. If Millie had not been here today, I might would not have said that. But since she's right there, <clears throat> when I say these things to Millie, I'm at the very least implying that not only were her feelings wrong, but something's wrong with her. And boy, that's when barriers go up. Here's what Dr. Greg Smalley says about validation. He says, validation is modeled in marriage when we safely allow our spouse to share his or her thoughts and feelings. The message when you validate is that it's okay to think the way you think. It's okay to feel the way you feel. Validation occurs when we help our spouse feel unconditionally accepted. And let me just give you this little tip. <laughs> Giving advice is not validation. All right? When your spouse is expressing some kind of frustration or hurt or she feels or he feels uh, that they've been treated unfairly or with injustice, don't give in the temptation to the temptation to give advice. And men are the worst for this because men are what? We're fixers. We want to fix it. Your wife comes home from work. She's frustrated about something that happened at work. She's telling you and it kind of gets you fired up. You don't like the way she got treated. You got to tell you what we're going to do tomorrow. Here's what we're going to do. She don't want you to do that because most of the time what you say is going to get her fired. 
But men want to fix it. They, want, they don't want to keep talking about it. They don't want to keep rehearsing it. They want to fix Now, if they're going through something, they want to talk about it. Amen. Come on. And if the ladies are going through something, the guys are like, look, let's just, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Don't do that. If I validate what Millie is feeling instead of trying to fix the situation, then she is going to be able to work through that thing on her own. She is going to be able to work out those problems. She just needed to know I care about her. Boy, I got the ladies were with me on that one. She just needs to know that I'm with her, that I'm on her team, that I get it, that I understand. And then she can work the thing out. I, I can't tell you the times I've, man, we've done, I'm the typical guy. When she's got something, I'm like, I tell you what, baby, don't you even worry about it. I got a gun and a knife. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. It's going to be fine. Now, you're not going to be able to see them anymore. But the problem will be over. <laughs> she doesn't want that. You know the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So all she needs is that I care, that I'm with her, that I'm praying for her, and then she can handle it. Three powerful ways to validate each other. You guys ready? Three powerful ways. Repeat, acknowledge, accept. Let me go through those really quickly. Here's how you validate. You want to validate. You want to make your spouse feel valued. You want to make your spouse feel that you care. Repeat back what you hear your spouse saying. A great deal of validation occurs if you get good reflection on repeating back, get good at reflecting on repeating back uh, what your spouse is saying. Uh, and here's some little statements that will help you do that. You, you say to them, so what you're saying is, and then if they go, no, no, that's not what I'm saying, then you go, all right, got that one. Let me mark through that. So what I'm hearing you saying then is this, and then you get to, they get the idea, hey, he understands what I'm saying. She understands what I'm saying. Here's some other little things you can say. So is that what you're saying? When you say, when you repeat back to them what you're hearing, you say, now, baby, is that what you're saying? And then you say things like, um, do you feel I'm understanding you? Do you feel like I'm getting what you're saying? Look at them and say this. It sounds like blank, and you have to fill in the blank or whatever the issue is. It feels like something and some word is really important to you. So it feels like maybe if it's at work, that project and your little piece in that project was really, really important to you. And it sounds like they are not seeing that as important. And then she goes, yes, that's what I'm saying. And then you say, so what bothered you, honey, was this? Is that what was bothering you? And that makes her get that you understand. Does that make sense? Uh, let me give you another one. Acknowledge the underlying emotion. To understand your spouse's emotions, try using phrases and questions like these. That sounds frustrating. You know, she's telling me something that, that really is bothering her. And I go, boy, that sounds like that would just be tough to deal with right there. That would be, I tell you, Millie, if that happened to me, I would, that would be pretty discouraging right there. Or I tell you, that would hurt. That would really hurt. Then she's, then in her mind, she's like, hey, he gets it. That's exactly how I feel. 
Here's some other little things you can say. That must have been really scary for you. Um, you can say, so you really felt, and then fill in the blank and let her answer, or, or tell me exactly how you felt. It sounds like you were really feeling this, or how, how else did that make you feel? When she's expressing something or he's expressing something, go, well, how, how, what are some other feelings you had? Don't advise, just, just have a conversation and let them, as a matter of fact, Millie, when she does that with me, I, that's where solutions happen. I can be really, really frustrated and see zero solution, but if I'm talking to her and she's validating me and go, I understand, she might not really, she might really feel like I'm being too sensitive because she knows I can be that way. But if I just know she's listening to me, then I'm hearing the answer. So are you, am I making sense right here? I hear the answer in my own words. And she doesn't even have to give me advice because when we get to the end of it, I already know what I needed to do because. In my frustration, I couldn't get there, but having that conversation with somebody who loves me and is understanding me helps me get there, and I come to the conclusion, I come to the answer myself. And then the third thing, accept your spouse's feelings and accept their perspective. And that simply means once you understand your husband's perspective or your wife's perspective and you kind of get their emotion, then you can follow up with a statement like this. Hey, you know what? It really makes sense to me that you'd feel this way. And again, you don't have to agree with how they're feeling and you, and you know that they're kind of really making it worse than it really is, but you can look at them still and be totally honest and go, you know, I can understand how you, how you would get there. I can understand how you would feel that. I, I got to tell you, I, I think if I was in your place, I might feel the same way. See, that, that accepts them. I can understand why you're going through that, why you're going through these emotions. So the more you listen to and validate your spouse's thoughts and feelings, the more connected you're going to feel. And that, bling, that brings us to uh, number four, listen, understand, validate. Number four, the fourth thing that will help bring intimacy into the marriage is empathize, not, what is the other word? Not, not sympathize, it's way different, it's way different. Here's what empathy is. Empathy is when you enter into another person's world. Sympathy is merely telling me something negative that's going on in her life, and I stand over here and feel sorry for her and go, good luck with that. Empathy is when I leave my position separated from her, and I come over here and put my arms around her and join with her in her pain. Are y'all with me? That's empathy. Empathy, again, <clears throat> is when you enter into another person's world and you feel with that person rather than feel sorry for them and feel sorry for what they're going through. There's a place for sympathy, but empathy is that deeper connection. This is what the Apostle Paul was encouraging us to do as Christians in the church in Galatians 6 and 2 when he said this, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Hey, you know how to get good at that in the church? Get good at it in your house. That's a good place for amen and y'all kind of let me down right there. Somebody act like I didn't say it yet. 
bear one another's burdens. We'll get it right in the church when we learn to get it right in the house, in our home. Bear the burden of your wife. Don't feel sorry for her. Empathize. This goes with all family relationships. Empathy is more than feeling sorry. Empathy is being burdened with what they're burdened with. Empathy is being troubled about what they're troubled about. Empathy takes place when you carry your spouse's burden. Empathy says, I'm bearing this pain with you. Jesus modeled it when his good friend Lazarus died. In John chapter 11, and we're not going to go there, and it's not going to come up on the screen because I would have a big temptation to preach on it. So we're just not going to do that. John eleven thirty three 33 through 35, just listen, just listen. When Jesus saw her weeping, when he saw Mary, the sister of Lazarus, weeping. Now this is when Lazarus died. You remember Jesus was way off, in a, a, a long way off, and they sent for him and said, come, your, your friend Lazarus is sick. And when Jesus got there, Lazarus had died, and he gets there, and everybody's crying and weeping. And when Jesus saw Mary weeping, <clears throat> and not only when he saw Mary weeping, uh, but the Jews, that the Jews that had come with her were also weeping. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus saw them crying and he was deeply moved in his spirit. He was deeply troubled. And he said this to them. Where have you laid him? <clears throat> and they said, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says, the shortest verse in the Bible, what does it say? Jesus wept. Now listen, this is so interesting because Jesus already knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He already had the perfect solution in mind and he was going to carry it out. He was going to solve the problem. He was going to fix everything. He didn't try to calm the family down, though. He didn't say, just simmer down. Everybody calm down. Y'all react. I'm here now. Everybody calm down. Y'all acting so crazy, foolish. No, he came into their pain. He came into their suffering. And he did not feel sorry for them or try to fix the situation or even tell them he was going to fix it. He just left his position and went over and embraced them and wept with them. What a beautiful picture of empathy. So powerful. Jesus wept knowing he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. After witnessing Christ's empathy, listen to this. After the people watched Jesus. How many of you know because you're a Christian, people are watching you? They're watching you. They're going to see how you're going to react. And the Bible says the people were watching Jesus. And the Bible says in John eleven thirty six 36, that when they saw him, when they saw him weep over the death of Lazarus, they said, see how he, Jesus, loved him, Lazarus. Look, they were, can I put that in Johnston County, Wayne County? Look how much Jesus loves Lazarus. Not I'm going to fix it. Oh, you guys are overreacting. 
he was going to fix it. He knew he was going to fix it. Let me give you a three-step process of empathizing. First of all, you've got, if you're going to empathize, you've got to let your heart be open. You've got to let your heart be open to be touched by the pain of other people. Come on. And some of us struggle with that. We have to open ourselves up so that we can feel the pain of other people. The Bible says Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. The next thing is allow your heart to experience what your spouse is feeling. He wept with them. And then the third thing, don't try to fix somebody else's feelings or try to move them beyond their pain because Christ's example was that he just sat with them. He just spent time with them and embraced what they were going through. Look at Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And come on, say that last one with me. Weep with those who weep. When Millie's hurting, she doesn't want me to ignore her. She doesn't want me to pretend nothing's going on. She doesn't want me to say, snap out of it. She doesn't want me to compare her situation to somebody who is less fortunate. When Millie died... Uh, when Mitch died, I'm sorry. When Mitch died, um, that was something I did to her. I was like, you know, but baby, this family and that family, and I think there is some good in that, but there, there's a time to have that discussion, not when it's raw, not when it's new. Don't, don't look at somebody and go, well, I know you got it bad, but you know, so-and-so over here has got it. They got it worse than that. That's... You, you put up a wall then. Here's what Millie wanted from me and wants from me. When it comes to Mitch's death, when it, comes to, when it comes to anything she's going through, she wants me to mourn with her. She wants me to experience her emotions. She wants me to feel her pain. She wants me to see things from her perspective. So listening to her helps me understand her and validate her and empathy allows me to feel what she's saying or feel what she's feeling and say to her, I feel with you. Now the final step in conflict resolution is apologize. <clears throat> Some people struggle to apologize because of pride and selfishness. There's some, I got to tell you, there are just some people that I, I don't know if they've ever said I'm sorry and meant it. Can I just, I mean, it's my last Sunday. Y'all can't fire me. I'm going to just preach right here. <laughs> I mean, there are people who, who I really believe have never, never said I'm sorry and meant it. Some people struggle to apologize because they're prideful. And maybe you grew up in a family who never apologized. Nobody ever admitted they did anything wrong. And that's how you grew up. And you go, well, it's just how I was raised. Well, well, break the, break the cycle. Break the cycle. Instead of being proud of that arrogance, and instead of being proud of that hardness, and instead of being proud of that uh, stubbornness, break that in your family. And let those after you see you react to it differently. Let them see re you react to things the way Jesus would. For other people thinking that they're never wrong gives them a sense of power. A, sound, a sense of moral superiority. Some people can't apologize or forgive because they don't understand or they don't, they don't want their spouse 
to forget how much they hurt them. In other words, um, if there's been unfaithfulness in a, in a marriage, sometimes it's really, really hard to ever get to that place of forgiveness because you don't want that person to forget how much they hurt you. But, and I, hey, can I just tell you, can I empathize with that a little bit? I've never been there, and for me to project on you how you ought to feel about that, I'd be a fool to do that. But I just want to tell you, if you do want to restore that situation, there's got to be forgiveness, and, and you've got to walk through that and work through that with somebody if you can't get there on your own because it will taint your marriage. It will poison it. Does that make sense? <clears throat> people are thinking, some people who've been really hurt are thinking, if I forgive you, it'll let you off the hook, and you'll never forget how much you hurt me. And if you, don't, if you ever forget how much you hurt me, then you'll hurt me again. So I'm not going to forgive you. And I'm going to bring it up. And, then, and, then, and look, I got, I got to tell you, man, I totally get that. <laughs> I totally get that. But I'm just saying to you, it's never going to be healed till you can get past that. And it takes, it takes God's help. Healing begins with a heartfelt apology based on a <clears throat> deep understanding of how you hurt or frustrated your spouse. When you say, I'm sorry, just to put an end to the awkwardness, when you just do a quick apology and say, hey, sorry, I'm so sorry, sorry about that, can we just get past that? You just want to get beyond the unpleasantness of that conflict, then you're only trading peace for intimacy. You, you still don't have intimacy. It might give you a little temporary peace, but you can't trade peace for intimacy. That's a powerful statement right there. Hope you absorb that. Forgiveness is vital in marriage, and the key is that we start with an apology after we truly understand our spouse's heart. So let me give you four statements that make up a good apology. You guys ready? You already been looking at them? Number one, I was wrong. <laughs> some of y'all have never said that. Can we just all say that together? Because some of y'all have never said it. Everybody ready? I was wrong. Some of y'all, I looked at you. Some of you still couldn't say it. I saw some of you go, I was, you just can't say it, man. Like Fonzie. These first three words, I was wrong, acknowledge that your words or actions hurt your spouse and they validate his or her pain. It's so Absolutely essential that I was wrong be said. The next thing is I'm sorry. What these three words say is, is um, I'm going beyond just the confession that I'm sorry, and I want to give you the opportunity to explain that you understand how much you uh, hurt yourself. It gives you the opportunity to explain I'm sorry for what? Matter of fact, if you say to your wife I'm sorry, she might say for what? And if the wife says that, guys, your husband might say, for what? When you say, I'm sorry, it gives you that opportunity to go beyond confession and, and to say, here's what I did, and I know what I did, and, and I know that it hurt you, and I feel terrible about hurting you. Do you all understand? Because it's saying I'm sorry and apologizing is way deeper than, oh, man, sorry about that, dude. Sorry about that. We'll scrape you up off the floor. You'll be fine in no time. 
because you just crushed them. And then you're going to give this quick apology. Third thing is what? Everybody say it. Please forgive me. It means I accept responsibility for my actions, and I want our relationship to be fixed. I want it to be reconciled. You are not demanding anything when you say, please forgive me. You are asking your spouse to forgive you. You are asking them, hey, let's restore the intimacy. Let's restore the connection that was broken because of what I did. Please forgive me. And then the final thing, everybody say it. I love you. It affirms your love and commitment to your spouse. They say that um, your love isn't dependent on whether your spouse, when you say I love you, it isn't dependent on whether your spouse forgives you. You're saying, you know what? Until you forgive me, I still love you. I don't just love you because you're going to forgive me and let me off the hook. I, I love you. My love is unconditional. And I know I hurt you and I know I did this and, and I'm, I'm, I was wrong and I'm sorry and I want you to forgive me. But I want to tell you, if you're not there yet, I totally get that. I just want you to know that no matter what, I love you. I love you. So that's a lot of information right there, isn't it? So I hope you'll write for the notes and we'll get those out to you.